Well, in the passage Eli just read for us, we read John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In his last moments on Good Friday, Jesus thirsted. There's always a, an abundance of things we could just reflect on briefly on Good Friday. But for this Good Friday, let's meditate briefly on that brief statement. I thirst or I am thirsty. Three quick observations for us to reflect on this Good Friday church. First, Jesus thirsted on Good Friday to fulfill scripture. John makes that very clear in verse 28. He says, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and then in parentheses, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Perhaps that was one of the things you might have seen repeated as me and, and Lori and Eli read through the passion narrative over the last few minutes. This repeated idea of fulfilling the scripture, doing this to fulfill the scripture. John has mentioned it repeatedly. Jesus' death is a fulfillment of things both Jesus had said earlier in the Gospel of John and things the Old Testament had pointed to centuries before. And here John says that Jesus is thirsty again to fulfill the scripture. What scripture? Well, the scriptures change depending on what part of the passion narrative you're reading. But for this verse tonight, it seems that Psalm 69 is what Jesus is thinking about as he hangs on the cross. Psalm 69 and verse 21 says this, and it's by King David. He says, they give me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Indeed, the same is kind of true here of the greater son of David, isn't it? In John 19, Jesus receives sour wine from his mocking enemies, and he fulfills the reality Psalm 69, penned centuries before, had ultimately pointed to. But why is that so significant? Why does John point this out that Jesus did this and this happened and that happened to fulfill the scripture? I think there's multiple reasons, multiple ways we could answer that question, but certainly one, and I think primarily the one we should think about, is this reminder that the cross is not an afterthought, it's not a mistake, but it's God's very plan. One author puts it like this, John is eager to show us that Jesus' death, far from being an isolated event, is the climax towards which the whole of the Old Testament has been moving. This is the key event in God's eternal plan. In church, the amazing thing is I, Jesus knew that too. 
So as Jesus was experiencing this in real time, he was speaking words, knowing that by speaking them, he was fulfilling God's plan. Jesus knew the Psalms better than anybody. He knew Psalm 69 well. And hanging on the cross, he fulfilled it. Because he knew his death was the way God, his Father, was fulfilling Scripture and keeping his promises to his people. This was no surprise for God. It certainly was no surprise for Jesus, the Son. In fact, Jesus, racked with pain here on Good Friday, makes sure he not only lives, but also dies according to God's plan. Christian, If Jesus knew with confidence the sureness of his Father's plan, you can know it too. You may not understand all the specifics that it carries out and works out in your life as a Christian. You may not foresee all the sufferings that you are called to share in in Christ. But you can know from God's word what his promises are towards you as one united to his Son. And you can take those promises to the bank. They will cash. Because if all the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ, we can be sure that all the promises we have in Christ will also be completed in God's good time. Psalm 69, by the way, does not end in verse 21. It's a long psalm. It doesn't end with this idea of sour wine to drink from enemies. Instead, King David goes on to ask God to bring retribution on his enemies, punishment, pain. This is one of those psalms that makes you uncomfortable. It's one of those psalms they call imprecatory. It's asking God to damn the enemies of King David, the ones serving him that sour wine. Psalm 69, verse 24, David pleads with God. He says, pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. Verse 27, he says, add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. But church, we know Jesus fulfilled Psalm 69 by not only drinking the sour wine handed to him on a stick by his enemies, but by continuing on to take that very burning anger of God on himself for those who would trust him. Jesus, the greater David, had all God's indignation pour out, not first on his enemies, but on his own head. On Jesus was punishment upon punishment added. Upon Jesus was the verdict of Psalm 69, no acquittal spoken. Jesus thirsted to fulfill Psalm 69. Jesus thirsted to fulfill Scripture. Second, Jesus thirsted because he was truly human. This may be obvious, but the idea here that Jesus is thirsting and his tongue is parched is a reminder to us of Jesus' utter humanity. Many Many over the centuries have attempted to argue that Jesus wasn't really human, but instead merely appeared to be so. 
But here's Jesus. And at this point in the passion narrative, he is hung on the cross for six agonizing hours. And he is thirsty. The I am says, I am thirsty. The one through whom the waters of creation had received their form in Genesis 1 now lacks water for his own tongue. The one who had in John 2 turned water to wine now keeps his power in check so that he might thirst and suffer for his people. Jesus needed to be truly human in order to accomplish our salvation at the cross. For only a a human could truly be tempted. But only God could conquer sin. Only God could conquer the tempter. And in Jesus, the God-man, God did what we could not do. The church father of the 11th century Anselm of Canterbury wrote a an extremely um, monumental thesis called Cordeus Homo, why God became man. 1,000 years ago, this is what he wrote. Satisfaction, which cannot be given by anyone but God and ought to be given by no one but man, must be given by a God-man. Do you see the logic? Only God can satisfy God's justice, but only man has offended God's justice. So what does God do? He sends his son. Truly God, truly man, to make total satisfaction for sin. Christian, this Good Friday, remember Jesus knows your sin. He knows your weakness. He knows your temptation. He was a human. He became a human. He still is. But he became a human with weakness, just like you. So he knows what it feels like to be tempted, like you do. He knows what it feels like to be tried, like you do. To be battered by life's trials, like you do. And yet he never sinned. He resisted temptation when you and I could not He died our death for us. Christian, there is an abundance of comfort for your soul in remembering that the temptation you feel was felt also by your Savior. Consider that truth and run to him, not away from him in your need. Jesus thirsted at the cross because he was truly human. Finally, Jesus thirsted at the cross so we might never thirst again. A.W. Pink says, He thirsted on the cross that we might drink the water of life and thirst no more forever. Thirsting water is a theme of John's gospel. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus is offering water repeatedly to drink. You might remember John 4, the famous account where Jesus meets a woman at a well. And what does he do? He asks her for water. And in the course of the conversation, he then promises her that if she will drink his water, she will never thirst again. A few chapters later in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never, what? Thirst. 
In John 7, 37, Jesus gets up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But now, on the cross, it's Jesus who's thirsty. He's thirsty for physical water, a part of his suffering on the cross. But he's dying here so that our spiritual thirsts will be satisfied. We covered this a little bit this past Sunday with the feeding of the 5,000. But again, church, we're confronted with this truth tonight. We are thirsty people. We have thirst that the things of this earth cannot fully quench. Henry Scougal, a Scottish minister of the 17th century, wrote, The soul of man hath in it a raging and inextinguishable thirst. We do, don't we? We try to extinguish it, and it just stays there. It's like the burning bush just never goes out. We're always thirsty. We all long for acceptance, pleasure, comfort, safety, Meaning, wealth, love, happiness, peace. And nothing in this world can ever fully satisfy that thirst. We try, but the more we drink, the more we thirst. But Jesus came to satisfy our deepest spiritual thirsts forever. And he did so by taking our sin our rebellious attempts to find satisfaction apart from him and bearing God's wrath for that sin on the cross. And in doing so, opening wide the way for a reconciled relationship with our creator in which we can drink deeply of a well that will never run dry. If you're not a Christian, your life will be one of searching and searching and searching some more for complete happiness You'll try to find it in a spouse. You'll try to find it in friends. You'll try to find it in money. You'll try to find it in family. And you will never find it apart from the creator of this world. But the good news of Good Friday is that when you and I would not go to him, God came to us. Jesus, the one through whom all things were made, became like one of us, like one of his creatures, so that he could bear the judgment we deserved for our treason against the king. God himself. On the cross, God emptied all his anger meant for you and me out on his son. And Jesus, who lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. And so if you go to him tonight and confess your sin and your need for a savior, you will be saved. And more than that, you'll be satisfied forever. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the cross is not the end. Good Friday is only the beginning of the weekend. If Good Friday was the end, there would be no victory over death. There would only be a funeral. But for tonight, we sit at the foot of the cross. We sit at the foot of the tree on which our Savior died, and we rejoice in these three things. That he's the fulfillment of God's promises that we can humble ourselves as we consider a savior who has humbled himself for us and that we can repent of our sin and repent of seeking to satisfy our thirst with everything we can except for Jesus. And Christian, we can sit at the foot of the cross 
and find our thirst satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for crying out with parched tongue, I thirst. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hanging on that cross until the bitter end and then declaring that the work of saving your people was done. Lord, we pray that we would sit long at the foot of the cross today, that you would impress upon our hearts more and more the glories of the cross, the wonder of your love for us, and as we'll sing now, how we ought to boast in nothing else but what you have done for us. Amen.